you, you might, you may or may not have noticed or heard uh, the momentous event that took place last month on November 26th. It was uh, the Mars lander uh, InSight landed on Mars. It had been launched back in on May 5th of last year and took those some odd months, whatever it is between May and, and uh, November 26th, to get to Mars, traveling 300 million miles. And I just think for a moment about the amazing math that that required, right? To launch this lander that's about the size of a car. And we weren't launching this lander at where Mars was at the time. We were launching it at where Mars was going to be between May 5th and November 26th. And the fact is, is that the planning and the calculating and, and the, the math that was involved made it so that they could predict that the lander was going to touch down on November 26th at 7.54 p.m. And after traveling over 300 million miles on its journey, InSight was one minute late. So I naturally can use that as an excuse because I am always at least one minute late to anything. And if NASA can't get it right with all of their ability, no, that's not the way it's supposed to go. But, I mean, think about how, like, you're 50 miles away and you have to, like, call the family and say, we'll let you know when we are, you know, getting to the exit, right? We'll let you know when we get to the neighborhood. Obviously, the insight the Mars lander didn't have to stop the bathroom along the way and and things like that but like we can't plan that out that day and this thing launches May 5th and it gets there one minute late from what they calculated on November 26th that took some amazing math well well God didn't use math when he calculated out if you will what it would take for his son to arrive at just the time that he was intended to arrive. He didn't use math. He uses, used miracles. It took miracles in order for Jesus to be born at the time that he needed to be born. And he needed to be born at that time in order to fulfill prophecy. Prophecy that had been made not between May 5th and November 26th, but thousands of years earlier. Hundreds of years earlier concerning who Jesus was going to be born to, where he was going to be born. But, but God set up prophecy so that it wouldn't require math, but miracles. And kind of the culminating statement of our message here this morning comes from Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Now, now this fullness of time is reflecting the fact that it was when everything had been perfectly timed according to prophecy that had been prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And we're looking at God's awesome, reckless love. And reckless would be a strange term to describe God's love if God wasn't awesome. The fact is, is because God is awesome, What seems like reckless love is eternally intentional and amazingly coordinated and extravagantly 
gracious. I want to challenge you first of all this morning to live in God's awesome plan. See God's awesome plan for what it is and for what it was and presently live in God's awesome plan. Understand that that as a part of the, the, the conditions that took place on our earth because when the first couple let sin enter into this world as any of us would have known, God announced what life was going to be like from that point forward. And we looked at this together as we walked through Genesis 1 through 12 over the last few months. And as a part of that was the proclamation to the serpent of what was going to take place, that God was going to send a Redeemer. And in that statement we read in Genesis 3.15 is the promise where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And speaking of that offspring, he shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head. He will deliver a death-defining, deadly blow and you will bruise his heel. And all of biblical history from Adam and Eve forward led up to the culmination of God's awesome plan in Jesus' birth and in his death and in his resurrection as that Redeemer that was promised. And, And we allowed sin into the world, stepping outside of a relationship of trust and obedience to God And soon after that, as soon after we allowed sin into this world, God promised this Redeemer would come. And that Redeemer took the form of the baby Jesus. And as we've learned lately, the offspring of the woman was narrowed down to be the offspring of one family, one people group. And that family, that people group began with a man named Abraham. And God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, when he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in that promise, we saw the fact that God was narrowing down who this offspring would be, that it would be coming from the man Abraham and his family. And through that family, through that offspring, who became the people of the Jews, all the families of the earth would eventually be able to be blessed through that coming Redeemer. And God worked amidst the conditions of the Old Testament law to redeem a people for himself. The Jews lived under that Old Testament law so that Jesus would be born under that Old Testament law and fulfill all the requirements of that law. And we read about that, and this is the context of the verse that we read from Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you, if you notice that jump there, it goes from God talking about sending his son under the law to redeem those who are under the law, but, but we are included in that we of verse 5, so that we might be received the adoption as sons. That, that we, that anyone having the Holy Spirit indwelling them is able to walk in a relationship with God, a moment-by-moment, ever-present relationship in which we can look to Him as our dad, as our father. God sent His Son so that we might be his sons and daughters through adoption. The New Testament is clear that this serpent-crushing offspring of Abraham is Jesus Christ. You can read in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ, that Jesus is that offspring that would crush the head of the serpent and be our redeemer. And he broadens that opportunity beyond just the Jewish people to anyone. As we read about in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you have to be some ethnic group. You have to be some some uh, economic position. You have to be some gender. No. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, that's why... We have the understanding that when we come to the place of acknowledging the fact that I cannot save myself, my sins separate me from God, but Jesus spanned that gap between me and God by living the life that He lived, by dying the death that He died, by rising from the dead. And we're told in Scriptures that as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to be called children of God. See, we trade our sinful state for His righteousness. And we are able to take on His righteousness and and Scripture describes us as being in Christ from that point forward. I was um, encouraging myself this past week with with some videos from Kid President, okay? He's like a YouTuber from times gone by. I don't know how old he is now. But, uh, you know, Kid President would have some really encouraging messages and one thing that he would encourage people to do is to love each other and one thing that he would say to, to do that is he'd say everybody deserves a parade everybody deserves a parade well I know Jesus deserves a parade okay like, like Jesus deserves to have every planet every person every being spiritual or physical being line up on this parade route. Every star, every 
galaxy lining up. It was all made for him, by him, and through him. He deserves for it all to be lined up and him to be the, the uh, whatever that special person in the parade is. Um, going down the street and it all celebrating him. And here's the deal. When we are in Christ, we're, it's like we're sitting with him. We are made co-heirs with Christ of that relationship with God. And it is like we deserve that same parade. It's like God looks at Jesus and says, that's my boy. And God looks at us and says, that's my boy. That's my daughter. That's what it means to be in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are heirs according to that same promise. Some might consider God's way to be a little reckless. And reckless, from a human standpoint, means risking much without forethought of what it's going to cost. But see, God's wouldn't be reckless or, or God, it's okay to call God's love reckless because God's awesome. Because there's no cost, there's no distance, there's no time frame that he, that is beyond his ability to consider or to work within. There's nothing too big and there's nothing too small. It's kind of like the word extravagant. You know, reckless is kind of like the word extravagant. If you said, well, that person lives an extravagant lifestyle, you might think, oh, you know, that's not good. But yet, we'll call God's grace extravagant grace because we know it's coming from God. But to call God's love reckless, knowing that God is awesome, is amazing. Taking what took thousands of years to prepare for and packaging it into a baby is awesomely reckless. Entrusting him to a teenage girl with, with no real economic standing. Sending them on a journey to a place that they weren't familiar with. That they didn't know how to make their way in for him to be born into. And getting them closer and closer to a king that wanted him dead. That's awesomely reckless. I think of Christopher Columbus standing on the shore of Portugal, okay? And people thought he was reckless because they believed the world was flat. And they're like, how do you know you won't sail right off the edge of it? They believed a lie. They didn't believe the truth. And so they thought him reckless. Columbus couldn't point and say, see that piece of land over there? That's where we're going to land. That's where we're going. There was a degree of trust there is a degree of faith. We are going to safely land. Trust me. There had to be a degree of faith and trust. And like Columbus and his destination, a relationship with God calls for faith. It calls for trust. Though we are sure, as sure as we possibly could be, we still cannot see right now the person that we come into relationship with in Christ. We cannot see yet the eternal destination that he is taking us to. But, but no less I challenge you to live within God's 
awesome plan. First of all, make sure that you have been adopted into his family. Make sure that you are a part of his home, that you are a co-heir with Christ. You, you might say, J.D., I need to see it on paper. I, I need Read it in the scriptures. I need to see the person I'm entering into a relationship with. You'll know it when you get there. Step out in faith. Say, God, if you'll take my sins, I'll take your righteousness. Give me a relationship with you in Christ. Secondly, learn to trust that he has a plan for his glory and for your good in everything. Trust him. You know, God is is big enough to keep our planet exactly where it needs to be. We are on a dirt clod hurling through space right now. A little further from the sun, and we freeze. A little closer, we burn up. God's big enough for that. And you know, some of us develop conditions that it's just about one little piece of our DNA going a little haywire. And, and we have a tendency to think, that is so small. Is that too small for God to be there, to be involved with? It's not. God's in it. God has a plan for it. God's a part of it. Like the world waiting for Jesus, waiting is usually a part of God's plan. Waiting is usually a part of God's plan. Wait in faith. Learn to rest in His perfect timing. Secondly, I want to challenge you here this morning. Learn of God's awesome coordination here. We can read in Galut 2, it says, In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Okay, so Caesar Augustus was the second Caesar of Rome. Uh, Julius Caesar was the first Caesar. He was the first emperor of Rome. The Senate wasn't too thrilled about this and about him, so that came brought on the whole A2 Brute thing of Caesar being assassinated by members of the Senate. And this Senate set up a, a, uh, Augustus as the next Caesar, thinking he's young, he's, he's weak, and so we'll be able to control him. Well, Caesar Augustus uh, turned the situation against these kingmakers. He and Mark Anthony purge the Senate of, of these people that think that they can control him. He quickly becomes powerful and dominating, defeating competing generals for the role of emperor. And it's said of Augustus Caesar, quote, that he, as he walked around Rome everywhere, he looked and saw monuments to his predecessor Julius, and it disturbed him. I need to carve my name in the granite of Italy, he reads. And thus the beautification program was launched. Well, like politicians today, he reasoned, my subjects will be happy to pay for it. And so he needed to have taxes. In order to have taxes to that degree, there needed to be a census. This was the first census ever of the Roman Empire. And it had to do with a, the emperor feeling like he needed to put his stamp on Rome 
the, the ramblings and the thoughts of his mind, running that through whatever politicians it needed to run through, it finally getting approved, a census being declared, some Roman official going down to a boat on the Mediterranean, boats be, that boat being driven along by Mediterranean winds. I mean, think about this here. If any delay in this process, if any weak wind was blowing that ship, Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. But in the perfect timing, we read that Joseph of the house of David needed to register in Bethlehem for this census. We read in verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. See, Joseph and Mary being in Bethlehem at precisely the time of Jesus' birth, God wasn't doing math. He was doing miracles. He was fulfilling prophecy. The prophecy of Micah 5.2 where Micah writes hundreds of years earlier, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Little weaker Mediterranean wind, and Jesus would have been born in Nazareth. And not fulfilled prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled over 200 of these prophecies over the course of his life. But think about it. The order was given. The imperial official carried it to the harbor, the, the, uh, the harbor, the passage of the ship. All of that boiled down to this. As one person says, nothing demonstrates the importance of precise timing any more than does the birth of Jesus Christ. Had Christ come, coming been early, either earlier or later, Old Testament prophecies would not have been fulfilled. My grandfather moved from Baltimore to Johnson City, Tennessee, where he met my grandmother. And he was a watchmaker. And had he not met my grandmother there, he probably would have gone back up to Baltimore during the Depression. But he didn't. He, they stayed there in East Tennessee, and he wasn't a watchmaker during the Depression. He was a watch fixer. He was a clock fixer. But watches are amazing. I mean, especially the old school, you know, it's not just this plastic contained thing that they put inside the body of the watch. I mean, it's, it's gears and posts with gears on them and ramps moving in perfect synchronization. I mean, some of these gears are so thin that if you turn them sideways, you can barely see them. And, and some of them, larger or smaller, they have to delicately work together in order to keep that watch working at the perfect timing. And God's timing is no different than that. The events interlocking for the birth of Christ to fulfill prophecy. Some were large, involving the emperor of the civilized world. Some were small. But each connected to mesh perfectly for the family to be in Bethlehem at the hour of Christ's birth. God has everything that takes place in our world 
under his control. You know, a watch is easy to talk about because it's like out there. I think our life is more like a roller coaster ride. Right? Um, I found out in the early service that Walt Disney, Disney World does still have this, but when I was a kid, I went on Space Mountain, and I think they've lit it up more since then, but that was not an amusing amusement park ride when I was a kid, okay? You walked into this thing, it was dark, there's people screaming, they're like, keep your hands in the car, right? You hear stories that somebody stood up on it and lost their head and things like that. I mean, you're in this darkness and you're just holding on to these rails and you're just getting bounced back and forth. You have no idea where you're going or anything in, in this building where everything's just tightly combined. It's like, all it is, it's like, it's like you go thrown into a blender or something. Like I said, it's easy to talk about a watch working in perfect timing, but it, it, it feels more like an amusement park ride at times, doesn't it? I appreciated something that Brandon Grayson shared with me after the first sermon. He said, you know, what's awesome about that is the same amusement park that you could either tighten up and just and, and, and be scared to death in. You could also let go and be one of those folks that's just like, what's the worst that's going to happen? And throw your arms up and enjoy the ride. It's the same ride. It's the same ride either way. And God's plan for you is the same plan either way. Which way are you going to ride it out? Which way are you going to ride it out? Trust in God's awesome coordination. Learn from His awesome coordination that we see here with Mary and Joseph and Jesus' birth. He's got the big stuff under His control. He's got the small stuff under His control. And perfect reasons for it. Everything is under his control and care. No detail misses his attention as a part of his perfect coordination. Lastly, I want to challenge you. Lean on God's awesome grace. I love the passage from Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. When it talks about the timing, it talks about timing in a way, but it's not necessarily the timing of Jesus' coming. It's the timing of when he comes into your life. It's not when you got it all together. It's not when you are worthy of it. It's not when you are suitable to have a relationship with God as your father. It's not when you're that puppy at the hound that is, looks better than all the others. Your adoption takes place by God when you're a you don't deserve it at all. That's how it works. That's what we're told. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For who would scarcely die for a righteous person? Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, but we're not righteous or good. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. God had no intention of waiting until people were worthy of being saved. Wouldn't have even happened. Never. In fact, salvation by Christ requires a total sinner realizing, I'm a total sinner, and I need God's total grace. And nothing else will cut it. And guess what? 
His plan is to forget your sins. That's His plan. That's not like Eagle Scout level, okay? That's not like, finally, when you get to this level, I'll forgive all your debts. That's His plan right from the start for every person that enters into a relationship with Him is to cast their sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what Psalm 103 tells us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love that he's not going anywhere towards those who fear him. For as, as the east is from the west, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's pretty crazy. I mean, some would think God just gave up his trump card. God just gave up what he could dangle over people say, you better be good because I remember what you did. He forgets our sins. Heard something on the radio recently. It's, it, it was, um, I guess it's a company's reputation defender and, and they, they said that there's a petition to, to uh, make it so, so that um, the internet changes in some ways. And the petition is called the right to be forgotten. And the right to be forgotten is defined as the right to forget the information in online search results that are inaccurate, inappropriate, or outdated. Now, I don't have anything on the internet that's like, if you were to pull it up, be like, you know, but I'd hate to be one of those folks. And so the idea is, man, there should be a period of time where it's like, you can't find that about me anymore. And we long for that. We ache for that. Now that we've got algorithms and the internet and buildings that contain terabytes and terabytes of information, nobody can forget what they did. Nobody can forget some cell phone video that somebody took of them. But the one person who is all-knowing and ever-present promises to forget. Promises to cast our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. How awesome is that? That is awesome, reckless love. God offers people to the gift of, to be forgiven forgotten of their sins. I've seen some pretty unthinking gifts. Okay? I worked for a guy and we were coming up on Secretary's Day. He's my boss and, and there were two secretaries in our office and one of them was his wife. Okay? And so we collected some money and, and we were going to, we delegated who was going to buy gifts for the secretaries. And um, he said, I'll pick up the gift for my wife. And we're like, okay, that's good. Uh, so we get to Secretary's Day, and we give his wife a membership to Absolute Fitness. We're like, do not put our names on that. She knew what was going on. She looked right over at him. We're like, yep, that's where it is. That's a pretty unthinking gift. And I got to tell you, if I wake up on Christmas morning, and there's a brand new car with a bow on top of it in my driveway, <clears throat> I'm going to be like, honey, what are you doing? Thank you for car payments right? <laughs> the gift that keeps on taking. You know, in our home, that's just not, that's just not going to happen, I hope, you know, as it's going back. There's some pretty unthinking gifts out there. 
And it appears like God gives up, like I said, his trump card, his ability to hang our sins over us. But he's not unthinking with the gift of grace. He's not unthinking with that. I want to challenge you to trust in God's love. Lean on his grace. He invites you to lean on his grace. It will not break. That's what steadfast love means. It's a grace that will not break. It's not going anywhere. Reach out and receive relationship with him by his grace and his grace alone. Your rear end being in that seat does not make you any more savable to God. It is his grace and his grace alone. And rest in his peace. I've been ministered to lately by a statement in Colossians 3. And it says, let the peace of Christ, let the, let the peace, yeah, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And what that's saying is the peace of Christ being the peace that I have between me and God, let it rule. And the term rule is the same term used to describe an official in the Greek games who judges this one can compete and this one can't compete. And so what it's saying is, when I have stuff that's just building up and I think I've got to take care of all of these things or I've got to worry about all of these things, I'm challenged, let the peace that I have between God dictate which one of these things is worth my attention, which one of these things is worth the effort. Let the peace that I have between me and God take the pressure off. God's not sitting here going, come on, Jay, you gotta, you got to, you know, make it up here. I am free to follow his lead to take on the things that he wants for me to take on in his power. In his power. Rest in his peace. The peace that Christ gives to us between us and God. Jesus was sitting one day with the outcasts. The religious people of the day had decided that nobody should be hanging out, certainly not eating or trying to teach prostitutes. And nobody should be doing that with tax collectors that were the outcasts of the Jewish society. And the religious rulers of that day had a big problem with the fact that that's what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus started teaching about a man, about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And he lost one of them. And he, and he says, what, what is he going to do? Obviously, he's going to leave the 99 because they're safe. And he's going to go and find the one. And he says um, in Luke 15, verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. He goes on to say, then over the 99 that don't need to repent. And really what he's saying to these religious rulers is, you're of the 99 because you don't realize you need to p- repent. These people know they're lost. And they know they need grace. And so they repent. Repenting looks like saying, God, I need your grace. I got nothing that makes me worth saving. And I just found out that's what the gospel's about. So I qualify. 
and I need your grace to save me. He leaves the 99 to go and find the one. You'll actually find, if you look, you don't have to look very carefully, around the church, there's these sheep tags. That's why it has the number one on it. It's the one that was lost. And and there's enough around here for, for every family to find one. I guess they put these on ears. Don't do that to your kids. We invite you to take that and hang it on your tree. Hang it somewhere in your house to keep it. Because if you have a relationship with God through Christ, you were the one that he left the 99 to go and find. That's what it's about. It's about his awesome grace. And he pours his grace on sinners that realize that they need saving. He pours his grace on sinners that realize that that baby that he sent, he sent to be their savior. And that all of his righteousness could count for them. I've asked Micaiah if she would come and and, uh, close us with a song. You're welcome to sing along with it if you know it, or you're welcome to just sit and think about the words as she sings. And then I'll close this in prayer.